0: Hey, this is Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the Sideline Guys Podcast. And we welcome you into the season preview of the Sideline Guys Podcast 2019-2020 alongside TV Sideline reporter and host Jeremiah Johnson. I'm radio host and Sideline reporter Pat Boylan. First and foremost, I want to say welcome because I think we have a handful of new fans with us who made a big subscriber push on Reddit um we handed out cards and and tried to make ourselves aware on fan jam we've got a lot of really exciting things planned for you here on the sideline guys podcast this is the year that i know you and i are dedicated to taking this up even another notch and even another level and and be on the lookout for another twitter contest that we're going to have and and tickets and some autographs to give away um this is our season preview edition but we've got some new people with us and we'd like to welcome them is it episode one season four uh is it f- yeah that's that's right yeah season four episode one so i know everyone likes to binge
1: watch on netflix or hulu i'm not asking you to binge listen to all of the previous uh, sideline guys <laughs> over the years which i you could if you wanted to yeah and maybe we could kind of direct you to a couple of the good ones but we try to keep this topical and we will have this episode or this show once a week now and we're going to have a Wednesday release date. That is the plan.
0: Yeah, so part of what we wanted to do is is make this easier on you guys and be a little bit more um, regular with these podcasts. So expect, for the most part, I can't guarantee every single one's going to be like this, but there's challenges with you being on the road and all of that, and and part of if you are listening to us for the first time um, that I think makes this podcast so worthwhile is you will go on the road, I'll do my radio duties from Indianapolis, and we can kind of check in with you. You are with the team in those various cities. We are going to be aiming for Wednesday morning releases, so it's going to be the Wednesday morning sideline guys podcast that comes out. Again, can't guarantee every single one that is the case, but we want to give you guys, you know, some idea of when you can expect us, and we feel like that'll help, um, you, you know, just keep this podcast more regular and something that you can look forward to throughout the week.
1: And I will say thank you to all of those who came up to uh, Pat or myself or anyone during the off season and told us how much you enjoy listening and it was great to meet and see some of you at fan jam on Sunday and and Pat I think has done a great job in trying to kind of get those numbers up a little bit and so we have many more exciting new details hopefully sponsorship uh, to come at some point here (laughs) in season number four maybe there are some uh, discussions about some on location sideline guys shows so right now we're staring at an audio booth and, and that's how we are sometimes and sometimes I'm in a hotel room and and you're in Indianapolis so the location of the recording it often changes but the in general the theme of kind of what we try to to Do it hasn't really changed over the, over the four years. You know, we have some inside information, not necessarily information, but some insight. Yeah, you know, by being around the t- the team all, at all times and being at all the media availabilities and even seeing you know the practices and obviously when you see. You know, you see 41 games with your own eyes, and the other 41 you, you see on television, you're hearing Mark call it, so it paints the picture that you basically are right there. Um, and I'm at every game, with the exception of this season and the regular season. One game will be on TNT, and, and that that's a home game, so I'll be there as well. So um, we're at every game. We, you know, get to know the players. We still, um, even though we are team employees, probably should, you know, first episode of the season, make that known that we're not going to be the podcast that's going to come in here and just – rip on and trash anybody that has a you know a a four for 22 night I mean the numbers will speak for themselves and I think that's what what we really try to do on the broadcast so in a way this podcast is an extension of what we do on a regular basis on our game broadcast we you know share some insight that fans might not be aware of we'll call it like we see it we won't necessarily sugarcoat but we're probably not also going to completely trash a guy unless if somebody needs to play better i think that we have the ability to do that in a way that is not you know demeaning much like maybe a little different than and shout out to everybody on reddit i think it's it's awesome (laughs) um what's been happening with with pacers reddit and it does seem like the pacers reddit um, channel is one of the bigger ones. They're up or, to
0: like 53,000 subscribers. I remember uh, going on there f- from time to time when it was like 12,000. So. so you can
1: say whatever you want on Reddit, and it's okay. You're a right. fan. you know. So I, I think that some of the reviews are even accurate. I've read a couple of them where it's uh, maybe a, an overly optimistic view of the Pacers. I, I don't think that we have been un- There's been a lot to be optimistic and excited about over the last four years. If you think about where this team kind of was and the changes it had to make and then where it is right now, which it just feels like it's kind of a a top four type of Eastern Conference team. I mean, they may not finish in the top four, but the last two years they sort of had that goal, especially once the season started, and they had that goal really up until the final week of the season, and and the last two seasons were five seeds. Now, my big thing for this year, and I I even think back to – the, the Terry Hepner days at IU and and their their motto, their rallying cry was um, to, to play in a bowl game um, to win six, I believe, was maybe what he said. What I want for this team this season is I want I want to watch basketball in May. OK, yeah. I mean, the, sometimes the schedule for the playoffs, it's a week early, a week late. This needs to be a second round team. And I was curious what Nate McMillan would think. You know, a goal or a, a motto of, of the season might be. In many years, I kind of have pulled that from his conversations at the golf outing, which is usually about a week or two, sometimes even three days before the start of the season. In the last few years, I've kind of listened to some of his interviews at the golf outing and his speech to um, those that were in attendance, and I've kind of gathered this is kind of what he's going to use. And I didn't get that this year. So during the Media Day sit down interviews, that was my first question with him, and I said, you know, what what is the kind of the theme or the motto for this season? And he did not even flinch. He said, I think it's a prove-it season. and it, it, You can take that a number of uh, directions, but it's a prove-it for a number of players that are in an opportunity to embrace a new role. Um, but really it's for the franchise to prove, yeah, you're a playoff team. You know, the Pacers are a team that can be taken seriously, but can they get to that next level? Can they be a serious – Eastern Conference title contender. And if you're in the top four and if you have home court advantage and if you're at least getting into that second round, I mean, you're right there. So this is where this team needs to prove it's serious and not just content with getting into the playoffs. I want to see the Pacers play in May.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good goal. May, of course, means you get out of that first round. I think we went all the way up until uh, like April 30th, a couple years ago um, in that Cleveland series. And 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 to close on what was your point in that opening monologue there is part of what makes this podcast um, something that you and I really enjoy is we might get to talk with X player for five minutes, but even though... An 82 game season, and you've got a 30 minute pregame show, and I've got a 30 minute pregame show, and we both do sideline reporting. There's still a finite amount of time before Max Linewan's in your ear. <laughs> All right, wrap it up, Jeremiah, our, our, our TV producer, and uh, and and you know I know I've got to be quiet, especially on radio, because there's not a picture overlaying what I'm saying. So we might have a five co- minute conversation with a player and only get to use the best 20 seconds. You
1: fit it in 20 seconds, and you're probably not able to go back to it. Right, right.
0: Here we can tell we you. Here's can. other things. Here's other things that we talked about here's other um, insight we got That's from like some our of cutting room floor. Right, right. So there is no limit on this. Now, we're not going to go like two hours because that would be um, annoying. But we do have a little bit more time um, to share some things with you, to share our thoughts. And so I I guess I will start this off kind of by opening up things uh, with you. We've watched some practices. We've watched the training camp unfold. We've watched, you know, the fan jam. We've watched three preseason games. I want your biggest takeaways so far with the understanding that, yes, it's still preseason. But I think a lot of what happens during training camp and during this time sets the tone for those first 10 games games going into the year when
1: I say training camp what immediately comes to mind to you I mean or even you know fall camp if you were a high school football player just basically the month or two that you're practicing before you have games that really count it's not you you don't have like positive thoughts for me personally right I mean and and even fans it's kind of it's kind of boring to watch I will say that my biggest takeaway is how engaged I have seen this team. And I think the India trip, we'll see what happens. We'll see if a week from now um, they are still feeling any effects. I don't see it. I mean, I saw the first practice after they got back from India. And you would have never known that they had been on a 16-hour plane flight two days prior to that. And what I, I guess my point would be training camp is tough. Nate McMillan's camps are not easy. They are meant to challenge you physically and emotionally, but I think without the India trip, you can get tired and worn down. This kind of broke it up a little bit, so they had media day on a Friday. They had two-a-days on Saturday. That included the conditioning test that Scott Agnes wrote about in The Athletic, if you'd like to, to learn more about that. Sunday, they had two-a-days. They had one hard practice on Monday, and they flew to India. Well, that's that's not easy, and I'm sure it was not necessarily fun, but it was 3 very jam-packed days of quote-unquote training camp. Then everything changes a little bit in India. And then when Nate McMillan got the guys back, they got back on a Sunday. They had Monday off. Then they had training camp mode on Tuesday. And they were allowed to come in if they wanted to and have a second practice, but it was just probably for shooting. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they worked really hard. And that was the lead up into the preseason game on Friday. And I've seen probably from what I've described right there all but maybe one of the days of those practices and what I've noted is one the competition level they have starters and a second unit and a guy's wearing um, the yellow pennies they call them or the you know the third team basically because you've got reversible jerseys for the starters and then the second unit wears the other color and then you've got the yellow there are a number of drills then and they're all different kinds of drills but I am seeing. Every time they put the scoreboard on and the clock run and they keep score, there is a great effort, but there's no, you know, animosity. I mean, like the the guys in the gold shirts are winning some. You're right. And that's okay, though. That You'll have that. But the starters, if they lose one, then they are fired up, and then they want to win the next one. And I've seen this almost every day. And if somebody's down on the other team, I've, I've noticed them picking them up. But I just think that what we've seen in practice, we saw even in the preseason games, and you never see that. I mean, I was watching on TV the games from India, but I, I just remember thinking at one point, this just doesn't feel like a preseason game. I mean, it really feels like they are trying very hard. I mean, you know, Sabonis is getting elbowed in, in the head, <laughs> yeah. which that felt like a regular season game. But right. uh, my big takeaway right now is how hard everyone is working. I think the India trip fit in perfectly because they might have been worn down a little bit by camp. That kind of was the break in the middle. And before you know it, it'll be the time to start the season. And I don't think – I think they'll still be energized and refreshed, but they'll see the benefits of that hard work.
0: I think what's been so interesting to me – and in our podcast, we started this. The first year um, was the last season that Paul George was here. And so we got to see this fascinating um, dichotomy of that year, you know, you are greater than the sum of your parts, that whole saying. That team was so talented and never really figured it out. And I think a lot of it had to do with chemistry. And so it was so interesting then the next year to watch that completely do a 180, to watch the chemistry all of a sudden be a major positive that this team had and and not something, you know, potentially holding it back. You remember that February or March where they didn't have back-to-back wins or losses that one year for almost the whole month.
1: Aaron Brooks, consistently inconsistent.
0: <laughs> That's what that team was. And then it was so fascinating to all of a sudden be winning games because of that the next year. We saw that play over into last season as well. And what's to me, the biggest takeaway is when when I sit down, and granted, the real test of this has not happened. The real test will happen in the regular season. The real test will happen when they lose a couple of games in a row. But I get the almost exact same vibe from a chemistry standpoint, um, from a lot of it was what you were touching on, an effort and an energy standpoint. Just a way this team is fitting together that I got with, I don't want to say old group, because there are a lot of those same guys, and that's that's a big reason too. But, you know, you lose Thaddeus Young, you lose Boyan Bogdanovich, you lose Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, you lose a big core of what made that locker room great. And there was a big thing about, um, you know, resetting the timeline, which they did, and getting younger and, and, and getting more skilled and, and worrying about some of those guys maybe being on you know at the top of their game and and on the down slope of it but I don't know I I feel like this team has come together remarkably quickly for how new it is how many different type of players there are coming onto this team and we'll talk about this a little later because we're going to have a little section where we you know delve in a little bit more to the new guys and get you a little bit more acclimated and introduced to them I feel like a huge reason for that is Malcolm Brogdon I think he has come in and he has set the tone that this is new to me this is new to all of us um, but we need to fit in you know with with what this team has done he has never come in and said you know I'm going to check he got one of his the biggest takeaways to me on him he came in and said this is Victor's team from day one he said that and I think you know watching him fall into line I think you've got a bunch of different types of personalities which always helps and I think ultimately it starts with the front office because that's their goal right to bring in those type of players that fit this kind of thing and again They haven't been tested in that regard yet. They will be tested in that regard. But so far, I'm getting a very similar vibe from the last couple of years in terms of these guys fitting together, these guys genuinely liking each other and what that potentially could mean once the games actually matter.
1: You could almost forgive this team if they get off to a slow start because they have so many new pieces and because their star, Victor Oladipo, is out. And if you're in – Texas right now, and you're listening, and you're just a casual NBA fan, which I'm guessing if that's if those things are happening, you're not listening to this podcast, but you look at the Pacers roster, and you probably think, ah, they're, they're all right, but you know maybe they're missing something. If this team loses a game, they're going to be, I'm just sensing, they're going to be so agitated that they're not going to allow those kind of losing st- streaks to happen, and, and then you look at the schedule, something we can do, but they can't, of those first 11 games, you could kind of look, look at those teams and maybe the Nets of those 11 and, and the Magic. I mean, those are maybe the two teams that I think maybe make the playoffs because you have some repetition. You, you have, I think, a couple of Cavs games. Now, I think the Bulls are probably even better than some say, but you know there are probably going to be some predictions that have the Bulls out, um, the Magic, bottom of the East, maybe eight, and then the Nets. A bit. Other than that, non-playoff teams. So of those first 11... I think you got to win six or seven. I mean, it's crazy to say that, that if you're not six and five through 11 and many people think, you know, you don't even know really what a team is till November, but you have some of those quote unquote winnable games early. You have to take advantage of that opportunity. And I think Nate is even coaching that way because he knows while he has to teach and get these guys acclimated to each other and to his system, they also have opportunities they can't. They can't let it slip away. And so I think they're going to be very focused uh, opening night. I'm very happy that it's at home after um, the India trip being part of the training camp. But it's been nice that it's been home, I think, maybe six out of seven or five out of six at least. I mean, yeah. first game has been at home for a number of these years. Um, so and and really, the other thing that I think is has been interesting is how Nate has approached these games. Everyone. Playing basically all the games that injuries are not a factor.
0: It doesn't really, these preseason games don't really feel like preseason. You're seeing the starters play major minutes. Even the second game in India, they each played about 20 minutes. And uh, this definitely has the feel of. You know, we'll see how the, how the preseason rounds out and there will be, you know, cuts and we'll be back next week to talk about all of that. But this has felt very much of a, hey, we are trying to, you know, mesh this thing together and we only have X amount of time. And Nate seemingly is taking this preseason pretty seriously.
1: You know about Miles Turner, you know about DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, the returning Pacers, I don't think we need to do as much get to know you. About, But with so many kind of new faces and different kinds of players and personalities, it's good on this first show to kind of dig a little deeper on some of them. So is there someone you'd like to share a little bit about that is a new pacer that will be in that, you know, opening night rotation? I think the rotation could be even in question on opening night. Maybe we can get to that. Towards the end of the, of the show, but is there anyone you have a story or anything you'd like to share about one of them?
0: I will just tell you it, and this goes back to my point a minute ago. It is just amazing. It feels like Malcolm Brogdon was just destined to be a pacer. I mean, this guy comes in and he fits in so seamlessly. the The way he talks, the way he leads by example, his hard nose his hard nose attitude. I think um, one of the most interesting quotes I've heard from him was he basically said part of the reason he feels like he fits so well is because he feels like he's Nate McMillan, uh, you know, 20-some years ago. He feels like they're very similar type. They're hard-nosed point guards, and I'm talking about Nate McMillan, the player, of course, and who he has turned into the coach. He feels like they are, you know, a genuine fit for what they're trying to do, and it, it's the thing about Brogdon that has been always so interesting to me is typically when guys change teams, if they had a successful run at the other team, um, you know, they they will be a little gun shy on talking about you know the new team and the fit there, and he is coming off playing on you know the team that finished runner up in the Eastern Conference and during the regular season was the best team in the conference and all he could talk about was you know i put i had the pacers on a list of teams i wanted to be on at a college i've always wanted to play for the pacers and and you know look some of that is probably he understands the power of the microphone in front of him so i don't want to say like he's he's you know thrilled to be away from milwaukee or anything but you genuinely feel like i don't think a lot of guys could handle going from the best team in the league Um, and and moving, not the best team in the league, but the best team in the East in the regular season, and moving anywhere. Like, that would be a blow to some guys and, and, you know, the Pacers, obviously, especially with Oladipo, are going to feel like they're hopefully at that ability to compete with the Milwaukee's of the world this year. But I've just been so impressed with his approach, his demeanor, his leadership, um, his understanding of where he fits into this and how seamlessly that has happened. Um, And then, also, if you need any example, and again, I'm like the biggest proponent of, like, let's pump the brakes on the preseason because you're going to see things in the preseason you're not going to see but (laughs) he comes out game number one in that pacer uniform and has 14 assists and I think that is if nothing else a, a fantastic example of how quickly he has acclimated himself to this team, his teammates, and ultimately a new role. And it's a little bit of a prove-it role for him because as good as those Milwaukee teams were, you know, he might feel like Eric Bledsoe got a little more spotlight than that he could have had. Um, obviously, Giannis is very deserving of everything he gets, but you know, he had a 50-40-90 season and wasn't exactly the first couple of names that popped out when you talked about Milwaukee. And so I think he's also the guy that looks like he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder.
1: I think at this point, I'm supposed to go to another player, but I wanted to follow up on some of your comments and some things that I have been thinking about Malcolm Brogdon. You know, it, watching him in practice and in the games up to this point in the preseason, I have a hard time watching him and remembering that he was kind of that role player that I remembered from Milwaukee. And sometimes you need a change of scenery to really get a new role. And, you know, it happens in really all walks of life, not just in sports, but you know even in coaching, sometimes it happens where there's a longtime assistant coach. And when you're in the same place for a long period of time, you're kind of just viewed as that's what your ceiling is. I can even go back to my days at Fox 59. I was the weekend sports anchor for a number of years. And Chris Hagan was the sports director. And while we worked well together and I enjoyed that position, you know, at some point you just kind of get Pegged, you're you're the number two guy. You're the weekend guy, and so maybe you need uh, a new opportunity. Malcolm Brogdon was kind of a sixth man slash starter, combo guard, maybe more of a two than a one. I mean, he has pretty much said, I think I'm a point guard, and without him saying – him tooting his own horn saying – I'm a leader of the team type of player. That's what he is to me. I mean, he he owns the room when he walks in. He owns a media session. He, to me in the locker room, I was very concerned about Thaddeus Young not being in there because while they had a number of adults, quote unquote, I thought he was the adult in the room that if the new players needed something, they went to Thad. And I was wondering how they would replace him. It does seem not on the court in those roles. um, They're very different. But I think that Malcolm and I haven't been, quote unquote, in the locker room um, as much until the season starts. I won't. But it just seems to me like he's that leader for this team. He can have that role. And he's a starting point guard on a team that is a legitimate Eastern Conference contender. He was, to me not a bit part. I mean, I just, I didn't, I never viewed him on a Milwaukee Bucks game. You know, if we would, if we would talk about three players on the Bucks on the pregame show, I'm not sure that we, you know, talked about Malcolm Brogdon. And part of that is, you know, he's progressing at different points in his career. He was rookie of the year though. And maybe you just automatically think, and you remember that he was a second round draft pick. He can't be that good, right? And so he's always proven people wrong. He, for this prove it season and team, I think he's perfect. And he'll need to be, A leader for the starting lineup that has some a number of new faces any others you'd like to to weigh in on
0: well i think to me look at the roster and there's such a a a fascinating breakdown to me because you've got a a couple chicken and an egg guys here to me which what i mean chicken or the egg guys to me which what i mean by that is malcolm brogdon played on a fantastic team last year um it was a 50 40 90 guy so you could make the case that he was a byproduct, and, and I'm not making this case. I'm just using um, some examples here of playing with Giannis and having a great team around him, and that's why he was 50-40-90. Or the other side of that is you've got a really good player here that can't be utilized enough because of – you know, how much Giannis demands the ball. And, of course, how much Giannis should demand the ball. I'm not saying they did anything wrong there. I'm just saying he is potentially a byproduct of that. And I know he feels like this is a bit of a bet on himself kind of move. Another guy who probably feels that way but is in a completely opposite scenario is T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren's the guy who is putting up – if you are not a diehard NBA fan, go look up T.J. Warren num- T.J. Warren's numbers the last couple of years. I mean, this guy has almost – all-star numbers, but it happened in Phoenix. It happened on a bad team. It happened, you know, out of the spotlight in the Western Conference, one of the worst teams out there late at night. Not a lot of people saw him. In fairness, he was hurt uh, for a good chunk of last season, too, and a, and a portion of the year before, and that's something he has to prove. He's the opposite of the chicken and the egg. He is, I'm putting up all these big numbers. Is it because I'm that good and my team is holding me back on what a, how I could be viewed in the NBA spotlight, or is it... The somebody has to score side of things. And so both of those guys come in and, and, we transition the conversation here to T.J. Warren. Both of those guys come in in almost completely opposite scenarios, but looking to prove themselves, I think, kind of in similar ways.
1: Everyone knows T.J. Warren is a quote-unquote professional scorer. I can remember even at the golf outing I was talking with Steve Ganzi, who has been here all summer, coaches the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, and I said, what have you seen in some of the five-on-five run from T.J. Warren? He just looked at me and he said, professional scorer. But what I've seen from T.J. Warren in practice and in the games – is someone who is going to surprise people with his defense. Now, there may be some moments where he gets caught in a screen and maybe is in the wrong spot, but I can just tell you how many times I've seen him putting out maximum effort, and I think that's the whole key for the Dan Burke defense. I mean, it's not built around, oh, you just have to have guys to play hard. Put Pat and Jeremiah out there, and if they play hard, um, the defense is going to be good. (laughs) But I think there are people, and we've seen it with Boyon McDonovich, and this is a point that many have made, and we will probably be uh, making some comparisons again, that he was one of the worst defenders in the league, viewed by some metrics when he joined the Pacers. And what did we see? Someone who I would call above average, would you?
0: Yeah, and the one who guarded LeBron, and I think in the grand scheme of his guarding LeBron, uh, was a positive on that side of the ball. Right,
1: and so T.J. Warren is basically the same position in this On this team, he's the three. And so while I was concerned, can he be the three-point shooter that Boyan was because he only had that one season where he really – added the three-point shot. I've seen in practice, and everyone saw it in India, I mean, he just catches and shoots. He has that confidence. I was worried that maybe he was more of a slasher, and if he's not a real three-point shooter, then I thought that could be a concern for this starting lineup because I thought Boyan, even as a threat from three, and then Darren with his high percentage, um, that was able to keep the Pacers kind of fit with the league on the three-point shooting, and I think that T.J. Warren – is a very confident, I mean, like, I'm seeing someone that could potentially shoot a high percentage but also be a high-volume high, a high volume guy. But I've seen him accepting defensive challenges in practice. They had their first practice inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse um, last Thursday before their game on Friday against the Bulls, and it was one of those sessions that I think is meant to get everybody acclimated to, you know, shooting in the fieldhouse. It's very different than the than St. Vincent Center. Um, but they already had the chairs out, and at one point in practice, he dove into the second row to try to save a ball in a scrimmage in a meaningless drill, but it wasn't meaningless. I mean, that effort, to me, I mean, everyone went and picked him up and he was fine. Um, I'm not sure that on a, you know, Thursday – 3 weeks before the start of 2 weeks before the start of the season you necessarily want to see someone diving into an unmanned chair uh, because of the injury that could happen but that to me was kind of symbolic of what I've seen from him in accepting the defensive responsibilities and I asked him about defense on media day ma- mainly about what he knew about the Pacers and sort of their philosophy just from playing against them a couple of times a year this was his quote when I came here it was always tough to play the crowd the team defense. I know Dan Burke defensive teams are always in the top ten every year. It was tough to play here. I'm excited to be on their side now. I'm hyped for it. He's he's not a man of many words. I mean, he won't be um, maybe the long interview uh, <laughs> subject that that some others are. But I can hear him saying this, and for him to say I'm hyped for it, I mean, he was, and he didn't really know a Dan Burke defense on media day because he hadn't even had a first, his first real practice. Right. But you know by him saying that, he'd already had some of the, the principles kind of ingrained in, in his head. And I just think that uh, he – He's the key to me, and I, from what I've seen, I really like what I've seen.
0: And so I want to you know, kind of look at this bigger picture with him. Here's to me where the Pacers could be really, really dangerous if everything works out and unfolds the way they hope it will, and a lot of this has to do with Sabonis and Turner playing well, and don't worry, uh, we are going to talk about that in a little bit, we promise. Uh, we're not ignoring the elephant in the room here. Imagine a starting lineup where Victor's back in. You could make the case that T.J. Warren is your fifth option there and if TJ Warren is your fifth option this guy who scored you know 19 points a game last year for Phoenix that scored 30 in that preseason opener again I know it's preseason but that's when you look at that and you say whoa uh, maybe this team could be really dangerous in terms of what it can do on offense, what it can do on defense. If Warren does have that Dan Burke buy-in, um, you know, you look at Pacers teams of the past and there has you know, maybe seemingly been maybe not a weak link, but I don't know if you'd ever look at a Pacers team in recent memory and say every single guy is a plus offensive player, and I think you could make that case when they're healthy and Oladipo is back that Warren's maybe the fifth option on that, which – Goes to say, we might have
1: to save this because I think the more we watch TJ Warren, we're gonna. I mean, he might start the season as the first option without agree.
0: Victor. Agree, and 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 that's the that's I guess my point is I'm not trying to downplay TJ Warren at all, and in fact I think there's a decent chance he is that first option. But they could be to a point where this team has so much talent and so much ability that he's even the fifth guy, and it's nothing to do against what he is it's just to show that potential firepower on the floor and Brogdon's not going to outscore him probably um, but you know he's got the ball in his hands he's you know uh, going to be a guy that controls it a lot Oladipo's going to be a guy that controls it a lot i think i think all of that is is really significant to keep into consideration um, if Indiana can stay healthy. And then if they can, it brings a guy like Jeremy Lamb off the bench. And I think he's going to play well as a starter. But um, Lamb off the bench all of a sudden really would then start to solidify your units again if you can stay healthy in some of those other spots.
1: Yeah, we might not have time to go into great detail with every single new player, but I did want to say this about Jeremy Lamb. That And this goes back to his first day with the Pacers, and I might have said it here on this podcast in the summer, but he was someone who, without me asking what I thought his role could be or how he fit into this situation, he basically told me, I want to be a leader on this team. I, I've learned from some some other guys I've played with, and, and you know, obviously Kemba Walker is someone that comes to mind that he played with in college and in the NBA, but he viewed – where he is and where this team is that he can be a leader and it's not easy for someone to say that on their first day with a new team and be joining a team that has some um some holdovers that are strong personalities although he knew Victor was going to be out to start the season but uh, I think that's a really good trait that he has and it's something that I was you know as I said maybe concerned a little bit about them losing uh you know but if you think about their starting lineup from Game four of the Celtics series in their starting lineup now, the big thing to me is just the offensive improvement. And I, big Darren Collison fan, shot a great percentage. I still think Malcolm Brogdon has more offensive skills right now than Darren had last season. The two guard, Wesley Matthews, did the job they asked him to do for the the way they got him, but let's let's be, be real here. I think Jeremy Lamb can do more right now than Wesley Matthews. Okay, the three, T.J. Warren and Boyan Bogdanovich. Never gonna hear me say a bad thing about Boyan. Maybe TJ is that. Maybe can do a little more. Maybe maybe he won't be the defender Boyan was. Maybe maybe he's not as deadly from three. But I'll I'll take that at least at a draw. Yeah. And then you know you're forced Domas now, and he's a better offensive we- weapon than Thaddeus Young was. And Miles is the five. So just by that alone, and then you hear I know it's all about points per possession now in the NBA and offensive rating, but. 110 is a serious, it's a tangible number and a goal for this team that Nate McMillan has said recent practice. He said it, we want to score 110 points. Miles said it in a different interview without Nate around. You can tell they're all thinking about it. It's one of those things when the game ends, I think they're going to look up. Even though I, I know we track offensive success in a completely different way in 2019, I think if they score 110 points, they're going to win a lot of games. Right. Absolutely. So then I think that's kind of where you're getting. Right. Yeah. There may be more possessions and their accuracy, maybe, you know, whatever. I think if they can get to 110, I think they they have confidence in the de- the defense of Dan Burke and just the effort that they'll put out there that they'll win a lot. So good time now for the pick three.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: So pick three. I think that offense is really uh, one of the positives of this team. The, the pick three is three. People or things that are most critical, most vital for this team to have the success that it hopes for. So um, I guess I actually will go first because I was just talking all this about offense. But to me, it's defensively. I mean, I I see a team that is better now than it ended last season offensively. Uh, They had to be. I mean, that was kind of the reason they lost the Celtics series is the offensive lapses that they had. So it was a goal in the offseason, improve the offense, and they did. Did they sacrifice any defense? well they still have miles turner who still is going to play with the chip on his shoulder and for some reason doesn't get the recognition he deserves he's off to a shot blocking start in the preseason i mean just getting shots shots are being rejected left and right so you've got him anchoring your defense i like miles and brogdon as kind of your kind of your point guard and your center and then everybody else can kind of fall into place the second unit defensively maybe that's where i kind of have a little concern but you have to you have to be uh, take solace in the fact that you're going against hopefully some second unit players. If the second unit that we've seen goes out there and it's Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner and Doug McDermott and TJ Leaf and Gogo Batadze if he's healthy, okay, I might have some, some trepidation there. And, and, and in general, um, without Thad, that's to me the biggest question mark because I think he made up for so many things. with Thad kind of with deflections and picking up people if they needed help And Miles blocking shots, that's what made that defense so successful. Miles is still there. How can Domas fit in defensively? It's my biggest kind of key. Um, I'll look at those defensive rating numbers after a month of the season, and I do think that is a good barometer of how you're playing defense. Can they still be in the top 10? If they're 15 to 20, then there is some cause for
0: concern. And to me, that leads me right into what I feel like is the biggest key of this season, non-Victor Oladipo folder, and to me, that is DeMontis Sabonis. He's going to be playing with Miles Turner a lot more, and when this happens, I think both guys have to give something, and I think first and foremost – you are fortunate that you have a tandem where each guy is willing to say, okay, I'll adjust a little bit. Miles Turner has to adjust a little bit. DeMontis Sabonis has to adjust a lot because the biggest question mark on will this pairing work is on the defensive end, and you don't want to pull Miles Turner away from the rim. So it means DeMontis Sabonis has to go out and guard fours around the perimeter. I think so far in the limited preseason action that we have seen, this has looked pretty good I think these guys have a good chemistry with each other but I still think Sabonis's success level on defense how much he's willing to buy in which I think he's going to buy in and then how much that translates on the floor on the defensive end but the offensive end too and this is where Turner has to adjust a little bit Miles isn't going to be rolling very often probably Miles is going to be popping out to the three-point line he might not touch the ball as much on offense as he previously did On paper, this could be a really dynamic, tough-to-defend, tough-to-cover duo, but both of these guys not only have to mentally buy in, they have to make it work with each other on the offensive end, and it takes a lot of adjustment, and to me, the bigger adjuster of those two is DeMontis Sabonis. The Pacers have two starting caliber, maybe even borderline all-star caliber centers, and they're going to have to try to figure out how to play on the floor together at the same time.
1: And it's a big challenge, I think, to Nate McMillan and how he sort of handles the situation because we know they're going to start the game together. If there's foul trouble, not to say you want that, it does make it a little bit easier. Someone has two fouls, they come out early Maybe they come in a little earlier in the second quarter. But I think we still might see, if foul trouble is not an issue, Domas maybe coming out, coming back in, maybe starting with that second unit. I mean, a lot of it will depend upon how Goga Batadze, if is he ready to be that backup center, and is he ready to have success? Uh, or Jakar Sampson, if he's filling in for Goga. But it's can they finish the game? I mean, that to me, that's the thing I was watching. I even watched it in the first preseason game. And I think it was more about the minutes played than it was any combinations. But, you know, they finished regulation. I think Miles played the India regulation and had that block shot. And then Domas had been out. He came in and played overtime. As long as the coaching staff can have confidence against certain matchups in crunch time that you can play defense. And, okay, once a week or in a certain possession, I think you can pull one of them out. Yeah. But given their place on this team and sort of what this whole season has been about. You've got to finish games that are close games with both of them on the court and not sitting one of them down. And that's not me telling Nate how to coach. And I'm not even I don't know what front office to coach conversations have happened because ultimately you want the coaching staff to do the best thing they can in that particular circumstance to win a game. So you'll allow it if not, you know, on a random situation, but you can't have it happen very often. So, uh, perfect on Domas, and it even piggybacks into Miles Turner. I think um, that leads us to the third and the group pick on the pick three, where we, uh, Pat picks one, I pick one, and we have a a group selection. This one didn't take long to come up with. (laughs) This team, if they want to have real success, they have to have Victor Oladipo. I mean, for all of the positives about the big lineup and Malcolm Brogdon and, you know, Jeremy Lamb's ability to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit. If they want to have real postseason success, they have to have Victor Oladipo. And that's not trying to put pressure on him, and that's one thing this organization is not going to do. Um, But eventually you've got to see the old Victor Oladipo, and that's something that we we can't even begin to predict or see in the middle of October.
0: No, and I I can tell you that he is – in these practices, he's not necessarily participating in team drills, but he's out there. He's doing his own drills. I watched him just today do a part of a drill where he came from the wing, ran to the top of the uh, three-point line, and was shooting three-pointers um, You know, in that type of a drill. So he's on the floor. He's doing some basketball things. Is he in live scrimmages? No but he's getting better and i i think without you know specifically having this conversation with the front office i think that they are pleased with where he is right now in his recovery i think you're right i think knowing victor he might try to Um, really push himself to be back as quickly as possible. And then I think there's a bigger conversation. Um, Do we want to fully make sure he's 100% before putting him out there? Do we want to play this a little more conservatively? Because this is not just a this-season play. we got to make sure we have that right. And and I think we've talked about this before. The Pacers have one of the most respected training staffs in the league. Um, Josh Corbeil, Carl Eaton down the line. These guys, um, you know, are are routinely awarded with different things around the leagues for their ability. But, you know, This is kind of a big season for those guys, too, because this is a very important call um, for them to make. And I think, to kind of piggyback on that, it makes we discussed this in in one of our last podcasts that we did right out of free agency uh, and, and right out of that schedule release. I think I was hoping that the Pacers, if there was going to be an easier portion of the schedule, that it would be early. And that reason would be that they can hopefully take care of some business before Oladipo's back. The last thing I wanted the Pacers to have to do, and and hopefully they won't have to do this, is to fall into an early hole and to be digging themselves out of it the whole year. Utah did it last year because their schedule was one of the toughest I've ever seen in my life in the first 30 games, and it was just a constant struggle, and they ended up in a great spot, but when you fall down early and you fall behind early, it takes so much energy to get back up there. It's something the Pacers did a fantastic job of avoiding last season. They they built themselves a nice cushion and were able to ride some of that cushion when Oladipo got hurt, but I think it also, while it's a star-driven league, Oladipo is the Pacers' biggest star. How he comes back and is he 100% and is he victor um, you know, that we saw in the 17-18 season, I think that is a your storyline I think also how they filled this void without him is he coming back on a team that you know is playing well above 500 or is he coming back to a team that really needs to start pressing and winning and so as much as I look at it Oladipo's return I look at it as how these guys play before he gets back too
1: I will be really interested to see and hear how the road media availabilities go you know Nate McMillan not that he's gotten a pass here the last couple of weeks because media day, Victor talked and everybody had questions about Victor and you would. I mean, it was a summer where you saw Victor on social media, but you didn't see him around here all that much. It wasn't like he was doing interviews, and so I think it was good we got a chance to talk to Victor for interviews and uh, features that will air on Fox Sports Indiana. I, they stopped by and talked with you and Mark. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I made the comment he actually sat down with. Uh, Domas. So they did a little joint interview, but I made the comment like, man, this just seems like you have picked up right where you left off in terms of he's running around the place. He's singing. He's yelling. Honestly, that's he's, what this team needs yeah. though. You know, no, I that, agree. I and agree. that's
1: what they missed in March and April and in, in the playoffs. And I, we can't go back.
0: But. And even if he's not on the floor, they've got it right now. He's in practice. He's around the team.
1: Yes. So it's going to be hard to be, I mean, I think, he will probably have some moments of frustration where he feels like, I'm just talking. Until you see me play, I can't be really who I want to be. But this is what Malcolm Brogdon had to say, and this is where I'm kind of like really optimistic about the the potential. You know, I asked him about working with Victor. He referenced the versatility, how they're both kind of, you know, two-way players. He says, we both have size, we both can guard, we can both score the ball. So it's going to be extremely fun taking the pressure off Vic when he needs to get the team going offensively. I'll guard for him. I'll do the other stuff while he's taking the load on offense. Malcolm Brogdon is confident in his offensive abilities, but he I think he'll take some of the load off offensively as well. But he's that kind of player, and that's why we go back to, you know, praising the acquisition of Brogdon. I, I don't know that there are too many people that could fit better in this situation of being a leader, being a scorer, and then when the All-Star comes back being okay with probably, let's say, his scoring average dips five points per game in February or January when Victor comes back. I don't think he's going to care at all. No. And he- and that's what you need to have because you at the end of the day, Victor's still your guy. Like, if, for this team to be special, it's a star, you know – it's cliche, but it is a star driven league. You have to have some stars. You also have to have support players.
0: And you need to have that player that's going to say, Victor, we need you on offense more. I'm going to pick up that defensive uh, that guy on the other side. I'm going to try to pick up that guy that maybe on previous teams, that 17, 18 team, they couldn't do that. As good as Darren Collison was, he wasn't a guy that could then shift off to the other players, uh, the other team's star guard, and take away some of that pressure off of Oladipo. And I, I just hear that quote, and the first thing that came to my mind was man like if you had this computer program that was able to spit out like the ultimate quote for a player to say coming on to a new team it's almost like that that is exactly what the computer program would would spit out would have a player to say is exactly what Malcolm Brogdon is saying and so all and that's and he's never played with him right I mean, and he doesn't at that point hadn't been in town with
1: him really even at all so right. this and this does go back to something really good that victor did i think in the offseason and almost every new player mentioned this whether it was tj mcconnell who was signed in like august or whether it was malcolm brogdon who was viewed as sort of the prize of the offseason first person they heard from one of the first two or three people that got in touch with him after finding out they were going to be coming to the Pacers was Victor Oladipo. And so the texting, that means a lot. And that kind of set the tone from a leadership perspective. I think there are different kinds of leaders. And I mentioned that the team needed one, not because I don't think Victor is one. Um, he's very outgoing. He's very vocal leader. Um and I think he did kind of set the tone in the offseason. So we, we'll probably talk about Victor on some of these early season podcasts, but not as much as Nate McMillan and company are going to be asked about it when they go on the road. Right. So um, maybe on a, on uh, Fox Sports Indiana, occasionally I'll relay in-game something that Nate has said before a game. But in reality, I'm guessing it's going to be like a tape recorder where I could just rewind and push play because he's probably going to be saying the same thing. There will be probably an update maybe in November. Like, But until then – for those that want to ask Pat and I, when's Victor coming back? I mean, it's fine. I, I get it. It's the big question. It's just really, it's really hard to know. But just know that he is there every day. He's being positive. He's being vocal. He's being a a plus right now. And and in, in reality, he's probably a little. Maybe let's just say is the. It sounds like he's. A little farther along than maybe people had thought, but you know who knows.
0: I think that's the hope, but yeah. but you know we don't know until he really starts to get onto the court, playing defense into these scrimmages. But I think I think um, where he is right now, he's in a positive spot. And I know I'm looking forward to uh, when you're up there in that Fox Loft and I'm headed into the locker room. They're singing in the locker room again. <laughs> there was a few months without singing in the locker room, and it was it was a little strange. I, he has a, just an innate ability to take the pressure. Off of every other guy in that room, and it's and it's the way that he acts. It's the it's the way that he does goofy stuff. It's it's almost like if another guy's having a bad day or a bad game, um, you always have this posi- this constant positive in in Oladipo.
1: And I go back to what I said about Malcolm Brogdon and the change of scenery. I mean, I, I'd have to go specifically ask the people in Orlando and Oklahoma City this, but you know, Victor needed Indiana much like I think Malcolm Brogdon maybe needs the Pacers and needs this situation. Uh, I don't know, do you think he was singing in the locker room in Oklahoma? I'm guessing he probably was, but it, it was good Russ's question. locker room. <laughs> it was Russ's
0: locker room. I do wonder. Maybe that's yeah. a good that's a and good I, I did him. go
1: talk to him in the Orlando locker room a couple of times uh-huh. and I didn't get the same feeling from Victor. I mean right. I mean, we talked and you know, I'd interviewed him when he was at IU, but um we've seen a different personality and we've seen a different player and you just want to see that guy again. First off the court, and then eventually this season on the court.
0: Well, let me say one other thing. As we wrap up this podcast, here's the the fun news about this. The next time uh, that we've got a podcast coming out, it'll be game night. And, and not just game night, a non-preseason game night. A regular season, the game counts, the winner gets a, a tally in the W mark, a game night uh, against Detroit. Against the Bad boys. Yes, the
1: Detroit Pistons. I I think it's – let's get this rivalry going again. I think it's good that it's uh, the first night of the season. We've had some kind of physical Pacers-Pistons games even over the last uh, couple of seasons, and with both teams seemingly big – I mean, it's going to be an old-school NBA game. It
0: absolutely will. You almost think this is maybe a good game for the Pacers to try out the the first official iteration of Turner and Sabonis on the floor together. You go against a team that uses the bigs very prominently in Griffin and Drummond.
1: If you've made it this far, we certainly appreciate it, and we want to remind you again of some of Pat's initiatives. He's kind of spearheading this. He's the marketing director for the (laughs) sideline guys. Be on the lookout
0: because early next week, I think, this isn't confirmed, um, but early next week I would like to have a major giveaway on twitter for subscribers so if you're a subscriber right now like you can enter you're this. already in. You're, yeah, in. You don't. You're in you're in you just need to prove that you're in i'm gonna we're gonna ask for a screenshot that show you listen to this show um, if you give us a review we will count that as an extra entry and we have some pretty big prizes to give away some big game tickets i think um, a couple of really cool autographs so be on the lookout um, at minimum on uh, jeremiah and my twitter accounts uh I'm at Pat Boylan and Pacers. You are at J J F
1: S Indiana. Still uh I'm I actually about to celebrate my one year anniversary of Instagram. Oh so I'm I'm trying to build uh. that up a little bit. I need Pat <laughs> to help me out with the stories. He's like a pro at it. Yeah,
0: but I've s i saw you kind of got going there a little bit.
1: Well, the story's not as much, okay. but I mean I am okay. I am trying to like it's every every few days.
0: Admittedly Instagram's not my number one.
1: Jeremiah episode. Fox Sports Indiana actually is the Instagram, so it's a little different than uh, the Twitter and obviously I'm on Twitter a lot more. So at JJFS Indiana. So Pat will put the uh, news out there. I'll follow up with uh, some additional uh, prizes and then we'll uh, we'll get you guys interacting and guys and gals. We we just we appreciate all of you. So all the kind words also mean a lot and uh, definitely uh, the reason one of the reasons uh, we we keep doing this podcast because it you know it's not really necessarily part of either of our job descriptions, right. but it's just kind of. We like doing it, as he said. You're, there's some extra time to get your thoughts out there. and My mom likes listening to it, so i got to keep doing it.
0: <laughs> He's Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. I echo uh, exactly what he said. We, we love having you a part of this ride. It's going to be a ride that's the whole season long. We've got some really big plans. This is going to be the year where we take this up uh, to another notch, and a lot of those uh, we have to keep to ourselves at the moment. Um, but we, we've got some big plans for this podcast here this year.
1: Sponsors, be ready.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all of our new listeners this week as well. Again, Wednesday mornings is when you can't expect this. Um, So you will be getting these podcasts uh, just about every Wednesday throughout the season. But thanks for listening to the season preview for the 2019-2020 Indiana Pacers Sideline Guys podcast.